Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. Before getting into Sunday's message, we have something big coming up that we would love for you to know about. On September 18th, Collective is celebrating its fifth birthday, and we'd love for you to join us. After second service, there'll be a food truck, inflatables, a dunk tank, and a ton more. So mark your calendars and make sure to follow us on social media at My Collective Church to stay in the loop. Now let's get into Sunday's message. As promised, we're going to start today by announcing the total weight that was donated at the grocery store buyout last week. Uh, Some of you are here just to hear that total. Before I get to that, though, I've got a few quick announcements. Over the past few weeks, people have been asking about our small groups and when they are starting. And so here are some of the details. Collectives will kick off the week of September 5th. Groups meet weekly until Thanksgiving, uh, and they get together to hang out, they eat. If you go to a brewery group, you drink beer and probably eat, maybe if there's a food truck there. And then what they do is they read and discuss the main verses from the previous Sunday. And there are two reasons we do groups this way. The first and most important is that we want you to be reading your Bible. Um, Groups that do books uh, on faith and spirituality are great. You should read books on faith and spirituality. I do that. But reading our Bible should always come first, right? It should be the foundation to to what we're doing in our faith. And so that's what our groups do. The second reason we do groups this way is because there are going to be times when you leave here with questions. There are going to be times when you leave Sunday feeling more empowered. There are going to be times when you leave Sunday trying to figure out what do you do next. And we don't want you to have to go home and wrestle with that on your own. And so we encourage everyone who can to join a group so that they can have a community to ask questions in. Right? So they can have a group of people that can encourage them to take next steps, to hold them accountable as they try to take those next steps. One thing we do, though, is that groups reset every semester. And so if you were in a group in the spring, you'll need to join one again. You'll notice this past week, we removed you. We do the great reset and start over again. And so you can join the same group if you want, or if you're like, I didn't actually like those people and you secretly wanted to join another group, now you can do it, right? We take that out of your hands for you. Um, But also, you know, maybe your schedule changed or uh, maybe you went to a group that had 42 children in it and you're like, I don't want to be around children this semester. Join another group. It's going to be great. There are groups with like 42 children in it. We go to one don't go to that group. If you have kids, don't bring them. We already have enough. Uh, So we want you to join a group. The best way to sign up for that is through the Church Center app, right? So if you haven't downloaded it, download it. At the bottom, there's a groups button. You click that. Uh, You click on join a group, and then you can find the one that best fits you and your schedule. Uh, If you don't have the Church Center app, check the join a collective box on your connection card when you drop it off on your way out on the double doors. DJ, our groups director, will follow up with you this week. Now, if you're a middle schooler or high schooler, we have a small group just for you called the Youth Collective. And this meets on Wednesday nights, and it actually kicks off this Wednesday. So we start the Youth Collective a few weeks beforehand. And if you are a student in middle school or high school, um, you really want to be there. It's going to be incredible. Uh, So grab your parents, head out to Next Steps after service, get them to sign you up, um, have them introduce you to DJ so you can meet him, who also leads our Youth Collective. Um, This fall, uh, we're so excited for what comes next with our students. And so if you're a student, you should definitely join that. Now, if you have any questions about groups, just head to Next Steps after service. They'd love to help you out. The other announcement is that we have a date that we want you to circle on your calendar. September 18th, we are celebrating Collective's fifth birthday. Yeah, we made it. Maybe. I guess there's still three weeks. 
so we go big every year for our birthday. Uh, we joke that it's not a real holiday in church, but we make it a real holiday in church. But this year, it just hits different because it's year five. Uh, year five is a huge deal for church plants. 33% of churches don't make it to this point. More importantly, year five is when church plants really start to gain momentum. I was reading a book this week that said the first five years of a church are like a warm-up, which if you think about it, if the past five years of collective have been the warm-up, what is going full speed going to look like, right? It's gonna be chaotic and amazing and so impactful. And so we're excited to celebrate what God has done and what he's going to do in this church. So here's what this day is gonna look like. Uh, it's gonna be a big party. We have a traditional, authentic Mexican food truck coming out. We've got cupcakes from For the Love of Sweets. There'll be cotton candy and inflatables, a face painter and a dunk tank. Like I promised, I will get in that dunk tank so you can take out whatever aggression you have on me. Ultimately, I think I'm gonna get dunked once or twice. Like I'm not really afraid of you guys and your ability to throw. So we'll see how that goes. The party will start after second service. And so if you typically go to first service, we're telling those people, hey, go to first service, go run some errands, come back, or just switch it up and come to second service that day. Uh, it's gonna be a ton of fun, and we just can't wait to celebrate with you all uh, what God has done. These past five years have been insanely awesome and incredible and hard all at the same time. Uh, and so we're gonna celebrate what God has done and, and what he's doing. All right, you guys wanna talk about grocery store buyout for a second? That's why you guys are here, come on. Uh, so four years ago, we were meeting in West Frederick Middle School and we were told that we would have to be out of the gym for a few Sundays in the summer because they needed to redo the floors. And so I sat down with my staff and we talked about our options. We were portable at the time. And so we could find another location for a few weeks if we wanted to, which I didn't really love the idea of like going somewhere else for a few weeks and then coming back. Uh, we could use the cafeteria and bump collected kids out of that space, which we actually did for one of those Sundays. Um, but we realized like this was a really good opportunity to kind of do something crazy. And so we decided to head into the community and buy groceries for people who struggle with food insecurity. And that first year, we hit 6,500 6, pounds of food, which was amazing because most people, when we're like, hey, we're not doing church in a building, we're gonna go to a grocery store, they're like, I'm not sure this counts as church. My mom won't let me do that because we grew up Catholic and there's all these rules. Does this count? What are we gonna do? And so we were so proud of the 6,500 because it was a lot of you guys leaning into this crazy idea. COVID interrupted 2020. Uh, in 2021, we upped the goal to 8,000 pounds, which was more than we'd ever collected at any event in the history of this church. And you all crushed it and purchased 13,500 pounds of food that day. And when Danielle shared that goal with me in August 2021, at the end of the day, I was blown away. And I jokingly said to her, your goal next year is going to be 20,000 pounds. Here's the thing though. She didn't know I was joking. And so this year, the grocery store buyout team got together. They set the goal at 20,000 pounds. And a few weeks ago, I got up on stage and I told you all that was our goal. And then after church that day, I messaged Danielle. I went, man, that's a huge goal. And her response was, you told me that was our goal. And we kind of had this moment where we realized, oh crap, uh, it's too late now. And so we just leaned in to 20,000 pounds. We told you that was the goal. It's the plan all along. It was not the plan. Um, <laughs> a little bit of a miscommunication. And so we went into this past Sunday thinking, hey, there's probably a pretty good chance we'll get close to it or maybe we'll get there. Um, but we have a video to show you what happened this past Sunday.
last Sunday was officially 22,059 pounds. It's a... <laughs> Uh, in fact, we got to the end and people were still shopping and, and we actually had to like shut things down because we bought so much food. People were like, can I buy this too? And we're like, hey, maybe don't buy that item. That's not on the list. And so uh, we're just blown away uh, by this, you know, to see what this church can do. Um, this means for the history of our church, we've donated 91,000 pounds of food in five years. Um, and based on what I said earlier about church plans, I, I guess that means we're just getting started. Uh, on Sunday, I got to talk to the Frederick News Post, and they asked me how I was feeling about the event. And I told them, first and foremost, I was just really proud um, because you guys didn't see it as a Sunday off, right? It's really easy when churches and when we say, hey, let's do this crazy thing. Let's do this thing uh, that's different, right? Let's do this thing where there's no worship. You're not listening to somebody preach. For people to go, oh, that doesn't count. And, and so I'm not, I'm not going to go, but that's not what you guys did. Um, and so first and foremost, just really proud of this church and their generosity, um, but really understanding that uh, that generosity leads to people experiencing Jesus. But the second thing I said was that I was thankful because I grew up in a home where food insecurity was very real. And my parents always figured out how to make sure there was food on the table, but without food stamps and without free lunch, and without cutting coupons before it was cool, there would have been times in my childhood where this was close to impossible. And so I just want you to know there are real families in this city whose lives are impacted every single day by this generosity. Um, it was so much food that all three organizations said this will get them through months, right? Uh, which, is, which is just incredible. And so um, I just want to say thank you to everyone who participated for buying food, for serving at the event. For those of you who couldn't be there, you donated gift cards for inviting. Um, next year, we're just going to say it, the goal is 30,000 pounds of food. I'm just kidding. That's the entire grocery store. <laughs> Someone asked me on Sunday, what are you going to do next year? I was like, I guess we buy wise. Like, I don't really know. <laughs> Um, we're going to figure it out. We're just going to keep asking God to, uh, to push us and challenge us. And we're going to keep responding and doing everything we can to make an impact on this city. So thank you guys for doing that. Uh, all right, let's get into today's teaching. Let's figure out what, what this series is all about. So I still remember Christmas 1989 like it was yesterday. I was three years old. Actually, I was three and a half years old. And we had just finished opening up our presents when my grandparents handed us one more. That was for all the kids. Now, we assumed it was underwear and pajamas because that was their style. But as we tore open the wrapping paper, a small mustachioed man peered back at us. It was a Nintendo. We actually have a picture of this. Uh, I'm in the middle wearing over flannel overalls. That might be a bowl cut. That might be a mullet. We'll never know. The 80s were just a very different time. Uh, no, I'm never going to wear that again. I promise you. Next goal, if we hit it, I don't care. I'm not dressing up in overalls and flannel. You'll never see me in those things. Um, but you can see in the corner, this is uh, Christmas 1989. How many of you owned a TV like that? Yeah, yeah. Do you remember you used to do the VCR and you used to like change the channel down to like get to Nintendo? Also, ignore the beer in the top left corner. Uh, <laughs> I'm judging my dad hard. I think it's like Anheuser or whatever. <laughs> Come on. Uh, so th this is the moment for, for me and uh, really my brother as well, where we fell in love with video games. 
And throughout my childhood and into my college years and up until I had kids, video games were just a regular part of my life, right? Starting with Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt, moving to uh, Mario Kart, Tecmo Super Bowl, Ken Griffey Jr. Baseball, eventually jumping to NFL Blitz and GoldenEye, uh, Super Smash Brothers, and then finally finishing with games like Halo and Madden and Call of Duty. I loved video games. And I don't personally think there's a better era of video games than the Super Nintendo era of games. And so today we're kicking off a series that I've been dreaming about for years. It's called Level Up and it's a video game series. And if you couldn't already tell by the arcades in the lobby or the music in the lobby, we're going early 90s for the next few weeks, which I do just have to say, early 90s music is the worst. Like, it's terrible. Some of you guys are like rocking out to that playlist. It's terrible. I don't care. I don't care. Some of you are like, I'm never coming back. Listen, you listen to your early 90s, your MC, I just can't handle it. But we're going to do it for the next four weeks. So if you love it, get here early and jam out. If you hate it, lose your mind with me over the next four weeks. But this series, while it's, uh, we're going to use video games, this series is a series on habits specifically habits that will help us level up our faith. And video games are gonna serve as parables. In the Bible, Jesus used parables to teach spiritual lessons. And when doing so, he would talk about things that his community understood. So he talked about plowing fields and storing food in barns. He talked about sowing seeds and sheep, like a lot of agricultural analogies. And what he would do is he'd connect these things to the kingdom of God. He'd connect them to our faith. He'd connect them to the characteristics of God. And so while most of us, some of you do, because we're in Frederick, understand farming, most of us don't, this series, we're gonna use video games. And today we're starting with one of the games I played the most as a kid, NBA Jam. I love this game. Any of you play this on the arcade or Super Nintendo? If you go to Spinners, it's there right now. It's incredible. Um, arcades are way harder to play than I remember them being. So NBA Jam came out in 1993. It sold over 6 million copies. In the 90s, it was one of the top grossing arcades. Uh, and in the 90s, Mega Magazine ranked it as the seventh best video game of all time. And the reason was because this game was groundbreaking. NBA Jam was one of the first games to have NBA licensed teams and players. And so it included some of the all-time greats like Reggie Miller, Carl Malone, Charles Barkley, Patrick Ewing. Uh, it notoriously didn't have Michael Jordan because he had a contract issue with Nike at the time. NBA Jam features two-on-two -two basketball and it's actually considered one of the first real like playable arcade games. Everything before that was really hard to play. And a key feature of the game was this exaggerated nature of play. You can see it earlier in the bumper video. The players can jump extremely high and make slam dunks from pretty much anywhere on the court, defying human capabilities and the law of physics. There are no free throws, there are no fouls. And so you can just run up the field just like shoving people the entire time. And when you play the arcade version, there's hot spots on the court that made shots worth up to eight points. And there's even icons that you pick up that give you more turbo or help you dunk a little bit better, help you shoot threes a little better. The game was absolutely great. And I'm sure some of you are thinking, what is this going to teach me about my faith? And we'll get there. But for now, I want to start with a story from the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus is in the Old Testament. And we're going to read Exodus 34, starting with verse 1. It says this, Then the Lord told Moses, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones. I will write on them the same words that were on the tablets you smashed. Be ready in the morning to climb up Mount Sinai and present yourself to me on top of the mountain. 
So Moses chiseled out two tablets of stone like the first ones. Early in the morning, he climbed Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him, and he called out his own name, Yahweh. Let me explain what's going on here for a second. So just a few chapters earlier in the book of Exodus, God spoke to Moses on the top of Mount Sinai and gave him the 10 commandments, right? They're put on these two tablets. Then in Exodus 24, Moses comes down off this mountain and he shares with the Israelite people these rules and instructions from God. And what they do is they enter in this agreement with God. They're saying, God, we're gonna follow these rules. They enter into something called a covenant. And covenant is just another word for promise. And ultimately the Israelite people are saying, hey, we promise to trust God. We promise to follow these rules. We promise to obey him. And so once they did that, Moses actually goes back up on the mountain. He spends 40 days and 40 nights there receiving more instruction and more wisdom from God. But here's the problem. While Moses was gone, the Israelite people lost sight of their promise with God and they built a golden calf and they began to worship it. And so this made God mad. It made Moses mad. And so Moses smashed the 10 commandments on the ground, symbolizing the Israelites' broken relationship with God. But then in Exodus 34, what we're seeing is that God in his infinite mercy actually gives the Israelites a second chance. And so Moses climbs up Mount Sinai again and he chisels out the 10 commandments again. And then this is what happens in verse 29. It says, when Moses came down Mount Sinai carrying the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, he wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. So that's what I wanna focus on this morning. And Moses gets to see and speak with God. We just read a little bit earlier. It says the Lord actually came down to interact with him. And because of this interaction, Moses' face is glowing. And not glowing like smiling, it's literally radiating because of the glory of God. This is a mountaintop moment in Moses' faith and relationship with God, right? This is a peak moment. And these are the type of moments that we want in our faith, right? We want these mountaintop experiences. We want our faith to have these mountaintop moments where we feel so close and so connected with God, right? Have you ever had a moment like that? Maybe it was when you got baptized, right? You come out of the water and you just feel so new. Maybe you went to a church conference or a retreat where you got to step out of the chaos of your day-to-day life and just take in the goodness of God uninterrupted. Maybe it was when you learned about grace and endless second chances for the first time and you felt that weight of shame and sin lift off your shoulders. Maybe as a parent, it's watching your kid choose faith in Jesus and get baptized. Or maybe it's as a friend and there's this person that you've been praying for and you've been inviting and eventually they say yes and they show up at church and you're watching them grow in their faith and you realize, man, I got to play a part in that. Maybe it's when the prayer got answered after years of praying. These are mountaintop moments in our faith where we feel closer to God than ever before. And that's what Moses was experiencing. But here's the thing about mountaintop moments. They don't last forever. Check out what Paul says in the New Testament about Moses and his radiant face. In 2 Corinthians 3, it says this, for his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already 
fading away. You see, eventually Moses' face stopped glowing and that mountaintop experience became something in the past. If you continue to read through the book of Exodus, it's not that his face glows the entire time. Eventually it disappears completely because once he came down off that mountain, his life went back to normal because mountaintop moments don't last forever. They just don't. The feeling you get when you get baptized, you come out of that water, doesn't last forever because eventually life gets overwhelming and we choose that sin again. The closest to God you felt at that retreat starts to fade when you get home and the kids need you to be close and present to them, right? They want, they want to experience you, so you struggle to experience God again. The joy you felt while hanging out with other students who have faith starts to disappear when you show up at school and fear takes over and you start to hide your belief. Sometimes the prayers don't get answered the way that you expect them to or the way that you want them to. The person you love walks away from their faith. That worship experience is that spot in your heart that you are trying to ignore. Eventually we get off the mountain and the glow starts to fade. It happened for Moses and it happens to us. And the sad thing is that I've been working in churches for over 13 years and I've seen over and over again when the mountaintop moments start to fade, when people don't feel the closeness and connection to God like they did that one time, ultimately when faith gets hard, people choose to walk away. They give up because they want their life and their relationship to God to only be mountaintop experiences. But that's just not the way that faith works. You see, our faith is a lot like NBA Jam. Stick with me on this one. In the game, if you make two shots in a row, the announcer says, heating up. And if you make it the next shot, what does it say? He's on fire, right? If you've played the game before, you know that every shot you make after that, or take after that, you make. It doesn't matter. You, you inbounds the ball, you're on the other side, and you just chuck it up, and it's nothing but net, right? It doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter where you are. You're going to make the shot. But something then happens in the game after you make a few shots. You miss, and then you miss again. In fact, when you stop being on fire, it's really hard to make shots again. And sometimes our faith feels like that. So what do we do, right? What do we do when the glow starts to fade, when our faith hits a slump, when we don't feel as close to God as we did at that one experience at one time? Well, I wanna share one of my favorite stories in the New Testament, because I think it can teach us a few things about how we handle the moments when our faith is not heating up and when our faith is not on fire and when our faith is not can't miss, but it's brick after brick after brick. And this comes from John 5 and John 6. And I'm gonna tell most of the story this morning, but I would encourage you uh, this week to go back and read it. It's incredible. Um, it tells a lot about who Jesus is and what his character was. Uh, but Jesus in John 5 has just healed a man who'd been sick for 38 years at a place called the Pool of Bethesda. And because of this, this was just outside of Jerusalem. And so because of this, a huge crowd starts following him wherever he's going. They're listening to him teach. They're watching him do miraculous healings. And the crowd gets massive. We're talking thousands of people. In fact, the Bible tells us in John 6 that there are at least 5,000 men who are there watching Jesus, which scholars believe means there were over 10,000 people sitting on a hillside listening to him teach. And at one point, Jesus looks at his disciples and says, we need to take care of these people. We need to feed them which they knew was an impossible task. They didn't have enough money and it would take months and months and months for them to afford to feed this entire crowd. But then one of the disciples named Andrew actually points out that this little boy has five loaves of bread and two fish. 
which clearly isn't enough food, but Jesus does a miracle, right? It's the feeding of the 5,000. He blesses it. And as they pass the fish and as they pass the bread, it multiplies and the whole crowd is fed. And the scripture even says that there were leftovers, right? It's this incredible miracle. And then this happens in John 6, verse 14. It says this, when the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. So the people are amazed and they begin to realize that Jesus is telling the truth. Like they're saying, okay, maybe he is the son of God. Like this, is, this guy seems like he's the Messiah, the one that was sent to rescue us from our sin. Right? There's this epiphany that they experience. This is a life-changing moment for these people. Right? This is a faith-changing moment for these people. This is a mountaintop experience for them. After this, Jesus steps away to recharge. He goes to the other side of the Sea of Galilee to spend some alone time with God. The next morning, the crowd sees him on the other side of the shore. So they get in their boats and they actually seek him out. And when they get there, they start by asking him, do you have any more of that bread from yesterday? Right? They begin to harass Jesus. Jesus, we're hungry. Jesus, we want, we want you to feed us again. Jesus, we want to see that miracle again. But Jesus says to them in John 6, starting in verse 27, he says, don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. They replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. And so Jesus makes this as simple as possible. He says, I'm going to give you something better than food. I'm going to give you something that you actually need. I'm going to give you eternal life. And all you have to do is believe. That's it. They answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. And so ultimately, imagine having the guts to watch Jesus multiply five loaves of bread and two fish to be fed by him. Then the next day, go to him and say, hey, prove to us you're the son of God again. Right, right. What, what can you do? What can you do again? Right. They just saw this miracle and they're saying, this is not enough. We, we want more. Right. This, this moment that they experienced wasn't enough for them to build or sustain their faith for some reason. And so Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So Jesus explains to them, I'm, I'm not going to give you what you want. Right? You want bread to fall out of the sky so you will not be physically full. But I want to give you life so your soul is full. And the people are pissed. Right? They want what they got yesterday. They want that same moment, that same feeling, that same miracle. But Jesus says, no, you don't need that. He says, you don't need to experience that again. You shouldn't need that again. You saw this yesterday. You have me, and that should be enough. And then skipping ahead to the end of the story, this is what happens in John 6, verse 66. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Right? Jesus didn't give them what they wanted, so they walked away. And here's the thing. If we had to put ourselves into this story, I would guess that most of us are like these disciples, Right? We're approaching God and we're telling him, we want more. 
We want another miracle. We want more mountaintop moments. We don't want to just be content with our faith and our forgiveness. We want that he's on fire moments. And Jesus tells them it's not always going to be that way. He says, I should be enough. Your belief should be enough. And if we are being honest when it comes to our faith, we don't really like that. And this is how the story ends, starting in verse 67. It says, then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. Let's read that again. Then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. So there are three things that I wanna point out from the end of this story and ultimately three things of how the 12 closest followers responded that will help our faith when it feels flat, right? When we have a choice, either be the crowd and walk away or be the 12 and lean in. And so I would encourage you, if you're not taking notes, you should take these um, because there are gonna be moments in your faith when you feel low and I think this story and these words will help you through it. And so here's the first thing to write down. We need to remember what God has done. Peter says, we believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. Well, how do they know that? Because of what Jesus has done, right? They just watched him take five loaves of bread and two fish and feed over 10,000 people, right? We skipped it, but they'd just seen him walk on water. They had just seen him heal the sick. And so in that moment, they're remembering, we know what God has done, and so we still believe. Right? There are gonna be moments in your faith that feel low. There are gonna be times in your life when your prayers aren't answered, when you sin again, when you fall short again, when you doubt again, when you ignore God again. And you can choose to walk away because in that exact moment, your faith doesn't feel very good. Or you can remember what God has already done in your life and remind yourself that you know you know because of what he has already done that he is the Holy One of God. You remember your baptism and the way that it felt. You remember the feeling when those prayers were answered. You remember the peace that you felt when you took that big leap of faith. You remember the excitement when your friend said yes to the invite. You remember the confidence you felt when you're reading your Bible and it clicked. You remember what God has done so that you know even in the cold seasons of your faith, God is still there. Here's the second thing. We don't feel the presence of God the way that you used to or the way that you want to. The second thing you do is you stay faithful in the presence, right? You remember what he's done and then you stay faithful in the present. You keep seeking him out. You stay with him. That's why the disciples responded, where else would we go, right? This is where we're at. This is the life we're living. We are staying right here. Too often the first thing that people stop doing when their faith feels like it's in a rut is they stop reading their Bible and they stop going to church, which doesn't make sense at all. This is like hitting a rough spot in your marriage and deciding to cut date nights. This is like hitting a plateau when you're working out and choosing you're just not gonna work out anymore. This is like hitting a season in your therapy where you're not seeing breakthrough and you stop making appointments to see your therapist. Right? One of the ways that we break through the funk is persistence. Eugene Peterson describes faith as a long obedience in the same direction. And the thing is, faith is never going to be a straight line. There are gonna be mountaintop moments. There's gonna be moments in your faith where you feel closer to God than ever before. And those are great moments, right? Those are the moments that you remember what God has done. 
but there are also gonna be times in your faith where it just feels flat, where you feel like every shot you take, you miss, but you can't stop shooting. Real faith is not made from mountaintop experience. Real faith is made from the moments in between. Right? That's why Jesus tells the crowd, I'm the bread of life, and a relationship with me means you will never go spiritually hungry again. Right? He doesn't say that following me is gonna be easy. He doesn't say every moment is gonna be the best. He doesn't even say every moment's gonna be like the one that you had yesterday. What he's saying is that whether it's a peak or a valley, he is there. His love is there, his grace is there, his hope is there. So when you go from heating up to he's on fire, to brick after brick after brick, what do you do? Right, if you're playing NBA Jam, you keep taking shots, right? You keep putting them up. Maybe you move a little closer to the back basket to make something easier. Maybe you take a shot that you know you can make, but you keep shooting. And faith is the same way. In those dry seasons, when your face begins to fade, when you come down off the mountain, you don't stop. You don't give up. You keep serving. You keep reading your Bible, you keep giving, you keep inviting, you keep praying, you keep worshiping, you keep remembering what God has done. And when you do that, your faith will grow and you will feel closer to God and you will know and feel his presence consistently and you won't have to depend on mountaintop moments to fuel your faith anymore. Here's the third thing, uh, hold on to the hope of the future. And I'm not talking about a future here on this earth. I'm talking about a future eternity with God. You see, Jesus came to give us a better life here on this earth. And when we follow him, we will experience that. But more than anything, Jesus came so that we could spend eternity with God in heaven, right? That's why the 12 stayed. They understood that right here matters, but there's something bigger coming in the future. The book of Revelation talks about this eternity and it's one that's full of hope. It's one where there are no more tears and there's no more pain and everything is made new and made whole again. And so that is our future hope. Ultimately, it's an eternity of mountaintop experiences because all we get to do is worship God forever. And I just wanna speak to those of you who don't follow Jesus for a second. If you don't have that hope, uh, if you are trying to find hope from other places, maybe it's your career, maybe it's people, uh, maybe you're trying to just stir it up yourself. Uh, what we want you to know more than anything else today is that hope is real and it does exist, um, but it comes through Jesus. And more than anything, that is the hope that we want you to hold on to. And this is real hope. This is life-giving hope. This is mountaintop hope. It's with you in the valleys and it's with you in the best moments as well. And Jesus says, there's only one thing you need to get that hope. He says, it's to believe. Right? It's to choose him as your leader and your forgiver. And so what we encourage you to do if you are looking for that or just wanna have a conversation about that, we say this every single week, check, check the baptism box in your connection card. We want you to experience that hope. We want to walk you through what that looks like or what does it mean or how does that feel? And so check that box, drop it off in the gray baskets on your way. We'll call you this week to talk. What does it mean to put your faith in Jesus and really say yes to hope? So when our faith is putting up bricks, what do we do, right? This is inevitable reality of faith. I wish it was always mountaintop moments, right? We try to create those moments on Sunday. We want you to feel that on Sunday, but here's the thing, there's six other days in the week. So what do we do, right? When things get hard, what do we do? Do we walk away? Do we give up on Jesus? Do we give up on our faith? 
Or do we kind of hold on to this story and do we echo the words of Peter? He says, Jesus, you've been with me. Jesus, you are with me. And Jesus, you will always be with me. So where else should I go? Let's pray. God, thank you so much um, for this story. God, I, I know it's one of my favorites because as, as I read it, I, I really resonate and really, really connect with the 10,000. God, I often long for these big moments from you. God, for you to blow me away and to show up uh, beyond my wildest imagination. And God, you've done that. God, you do that. Um, but God, the reason I love this story is because, um, because of the 12. Because here's this thing where, where these people want something big. They want that mountaintop experience. You say, hey, hey I should be enough. Like, and you say, there's mountaintop moments and there's valley moments, but, but through it all, I, I should be enough. And we see how the 12 respond and say, God, where else would we go? And so God, I pray as we wrestle with this story and we wrestle with our faith, and some of us are at the peak right now and some of us are in a valley. God, I pray that this story gives us hope. God, I pray that this story gives us something to hold on to because we recognize whether it's high or low, good or bad, on fire or brick after brick, God, you're still there. And God, our faith is in you, not in these moments. And so God, this week as, as we leave here, uh, God, as we literally step out the door and get immediately smacked by life, I, I pray that we hold on um, to what you've done in our lives uh, and God, really the hope uh, for the future. God, an eternity with you that has no pain, has no uh, valley moments. God, it's just mountaintop all the way. God, we thank you and love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.